It's Sierra, new ambassador for WW, Weight Watchers Reimagined. The new MyWW Plus, our most holistic program ever, helps you tackle the many elements that contribute to weight loss with tools to plan meals and get you moving. Join today with a limited time offer at WW.com. Hello guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast. So we're back and so is the German Grand Prix this weekend. It's the only race that appears on the Formula 1 calendar once in two years. So basically, it's a very odd race. <laughs> odd, I think it's actually a very even race because the German Grand Prix has been taking place in the even year. So we had 2014, then we had 16 and now we have... So. <laughs> Kunal, you took that joke a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so strange that such a traditionally strong automotive and motorsport market struggles to host a race every year. I know, right? So there's Mercedes, obviously, the reigning world champions, the Sebastian Vettel, Nico Hülkenberg, basically, what, 10% of the constructors and drivers, all German and still... And don't forget, Kai Abel is German as well. Now, a lot of you are here like, who is Kai Abel? <laughs> you will see him this weekend. I'm sure he'll do some sort of interviews in uh, the, you know, the Formula One feed or something. So look out for him and his pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do we have in store for this week? So Jacques Villeneuve thinks that Williams is dead. Okay, that's very ominous, but that's what he said. The question is, should Claire Williams be replaced? It is ominous, especially because Williams' last driver's champion is Jacques Villeneuve himself. So, uh, I hope it's not true, but we'll talk about it later in the episode. Renault might not be winning world championships or races, but their Formula 1 operations are finally making a profit. And I really wonder what's tougher in Formula 1, winning or making a profit. And guys, motorsport could finally become an Olympic sport. We just need to make it happen, dear FIA. And in this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast, we have Moments in Time by Lucien, where Lucien will share history of the German Grand Prix. It's actually very interesting and some really memorable moments we've had all along. So stay tuned for that. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and on Audio Boom for your weekly dose of Formula One humor. Okay, so cutting everything out, I can't wait to talk about motorsport becoming an Olympic sport. This is big. Uh, not that it matters or not that it will change anything drastically, you know, for the sport itself or the business. But still, I really think that having countries race each other in the Olympics, it just sounds like fantastic stuff. Yes, it does. And uh, it doesn't really change anything because by itself, motorsport is a really big sport and a really big, uh, it's got a big following as well. And a lot of sports that are non-Olympic sports still have their own standing, you know, for example, cricket or for example, snooker, etc. Right. Uh, but talking of countries racing each other, the famous Avon Grand Prix really tried to make the World Cup of Motorsport work out. Uh, but now there's an attempt to have electric karting as a sport in the Olympics. And here's something I just actually realized that e-karting will definitely make Formula E more popular. And I mean, it will help grow the category of motorsport. But I'm telling you, the FIA is building Formula E for the future to try and make do of their missed opportunities with Formula One. You actually have a very good point, Kunal. 
you know, given how the FI was controversially booted out of Formula One's uh, commercial interests. But for now, I think dear FIA, as we keep saying, what they need to do is get us our representation in the Olympics. You know, they have like this single Go for it. objective. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tell you one more thing that I would definitely want to do if and when e-karting does become an Olympic sport. I would love for us, the Inside Line Formula One podcast, to go and report from the Olympics. Big dreams, and why not? <laughs> we can, we'll definitely try and make that happen. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a single make series, uh, so it's purely going to be on driver talent, and they will have some sort of a quota system to ensure only the best from each of the countries makes it to participate. And then, of course, there will be different competitions for both the sexes. So it's going to be typical Olympic stuff. But anyway, this is a big idea. Let's hope it sees the light of the day. And we know that Olympic recognition and inclusion takes many years to come. So let's be patient. And I have to tell you, one driver who will still be around to race in the Olympics, whichever category, whatever year, etc., etc., the man himself, Fernando Alonso, <laughs> he's going to be there. And then he's going to call this the quadruple crown of motorsport. One of the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, since we're on Fernando Alonso, we have to obviously talk about McLaren. So, Jill uh, Deferen said that McLaren needs to communicate more. Obviously, he's not been reading McLaren's press releases and media statements and all that crazy stuff in the several past seasons. In fact, I think I think there should be less talk and more action. And that's what's going to solve McLaren's problem. Well, some of it, not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach Brown said that a cost cap is good for Formula One. Now, what are the bets that if McLaren were doing well and if they had their sponsors in place, would they have sang a different tune? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Brown or not, I think a cost cap is definitely good for Formula One. Just that implementing one isn't as easy as it sounds. Yeah, you know, Renault is always making statements like, oh, we don't have a blank check, you know, to make sure that we're winning the championship and stuff like that. So much for the old adage, you know, of motorsport, which says, more the money, the faster you go. But in Renault's case, actually kudos to them because they made a profit from their Formula One operations. Fantastic. Like I said at the start of the episode, I don't know what's tougher in Formula One, winning races and championships or turning a profit. For Renault, I really think that what might be tougher is appointing Carlos Sainz's replacement. Now, this is just in case uh, Daniel Ricciardo moves and then that triggers, you know, a whole host of driver moves in the paddock. Domino effect style. And uh, let's hope it's not the typical Ricciardo style late lunge into the inside of making some, making a random... <laughs> Uh, you know, a random announcement some sometime later in the season because the later he acts, the tougher it's going to get for everyone to fill their cockpits. And then we don't want pay drivers and drivers who don't really deserve those seats to be put in there. But, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Although Mark Weber says that he knows where Daniel Ricciardo is driving next season. But actually speaking, I think we all do. You know, initially there was a lot of fun in the suspense, but now it's a case of can y'all just please make the announcement soon because we know where what's going to happen in 2019 at least. <laughs> well, I think Red Bull Racing should be really thankful that Nikki Lauda isn't working for them. Otherwise, you know, this announcement definitely would have been made out of turn. <laughs> we would have all known by now. <laughs> by the way, Renault also said that Formula One's value would increase 
if the calendar was reduced to, I think, 15 or 16 races in the season. Now, honestly, I can't not think like a fan to such statement because reducing the number of races is a no-no for me. I'm fairly pleased with like the 20 odd races we currently have, and I'm fairly pleased even with the triple header. And uh, I also think that reducing races would mean earning lesser revenues for everyone involved. Unless, of course, Renault meant to suggest a reduction in races and an increase in prices. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, well, that's a tough one because everyone already thinks that Formula One is way too expensive, and they're interested in reducing the financial risks involved. So let's see where it goes. But the best news for us Formula One fans is that I do not think that many people in the FIA or the FOM listen too much to what Renault have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so our 20 days calendar is basically a little more safe than we would have thought it is. Yeah, but we've mentioned it on our podcast and now everyone hears our <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> that, that reminds me, I should state the fact that we are doing 1000 listens every day guys so thank you so much for your support fantastic thank you so much on that note i also wonder if jacques villeneuve is in the same category you know too many headlines too few listeners <laughs> you you mean in the renault category yeah of course in the <laughs> so this time he of course said that williams is dead blah 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 claire williams needs to go if the team needs to be restructured and honestly i think there may be merit in the latter part of his statement but then again you know this is Claire Williams' family business. So she she is going to be here. She is going to be here one way or the other. And uh, there's also, you know, you know, I'm interested in mentioning new Formula One t- team structures that we are seeing. So in the earlier days, the top position was almost always occupied by like the chief engineer or whatever the highest technical role was. But these days, there's a commercial head running the business of the sport. And then there's a technical head who runs the sporting operations. So... There's Williams and then there's, like we know, Paddy Lowe, both running Williams in their individual roles. And, you know, we know how Paddy Lowe made it to Williams. And I think for his future in Formula One, he's definitely going to make sure that Williams resurrects and resurrects really well and goes back to their midfield days like two years ago. Yeah. And I also wonder if Toro Wolf actually contributes too much, you know, on the technical and strategic aspects of Mercedes. That's an interesting question because... He's also a team boss or a Mercedes Motorsport head. And uh, I also hope you don't, you just didn't mention Toto Wolf because you're itching to bring out your, um, you know, what Wolf said this section. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> but not just yet, because uh, Red Bull Racing said that the 2019 Formula One rules won't help their team. Now, I wonder what sort of a disaster this is. For Red Bull Racing and for Formula One, it's not really big, made big news up until now that we spoke about it. Because, come on, Red Bull, this is a sport. You're a participant. There are rules. Everyone is dealing with them. So just go and deal with the rules yourself. Yeah. And, you know, there's still a chance that despite claiming that next year's rules won't help their team, they'll still go and blame everything they can on Honda. <laughs> because everyone blames everything on Honda. But this also reminds me, Red Bull Racing has permitted Honda to use... Toro Rosso as a test bed for 2019. Basically, this means engine blowouts, penalties, and Toro Rosso falling down the order in the Constructors' Championship. That's an interesting... Unfortunately, That's yeah. really... That's interesting. I think Toro Rosso is going to just be blowing out left, right, center. Hopefully not, because I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, Honda would have been learning their lessons. But I think in this whole Toro Rosso-Honda fiasco, if it turns out to be one... Uh, 
Brendan Hartley could be the unlikely victim of their failures. I think uh, they'll end up needing to blame someone. And Hartley just seems like a very soft target. Poor guy. <laughs> I also know that we mentioned Mark Webber earlier in the episode. But we need to talk about him again. Mark Webber said that Formula One drivers should be treated as heroes. And the media access and exposure should actually be curtailed. Well, no. I, uh, <laughs> I know what Mark means in this case. But I think Formula One is on the exact opposite path. You know, we saw and we keep seeing how the podium interviewer or the post-session interviewer is literally there before even the driver removes his helmet and balaclava. Yeah, it's actually like the paparazzi. But frankly, Kunal, I don't care. So uh, as long as no access is blocked for us to have drivers on the Inside Line Formula One podcast. <laughs> and uh, that reminds me, the official Formula One podcasts are also fun to listen to. And they're getting some really interesting you know, insights and stories. And you guys should listen to that as well. Formula One is in what I would call an Albert Einstein state of mind. You know, they're working on the whole don't ask why, just ask why not phase uh, with the sport and the business. And now I hear that Formula One is discussing single and three car teams for the sport. Now, personally, I think they should venture in this direction, which could also lead to this whole customer car discussion. You know, the whole Haas Ferrari model. And I think they, we should just make it valid and legal again. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll increase the competitiveness of the current grid because that's always the core focus, obviously. But let me put it this way. The independent constructors model is already giving us a two-tired Formula One. So there's the top three and then there's everyone else and then there's Williams. (laughs) 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 A tough call, but maybe a wise one. You know, let's see which way it goes. There's lots of technical sporting and even so many like commercial implications for such a decision. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, what Haas is doing is commendable, especially with the whole Ferrari support. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that uh, model of operation, especially if it allows teams to be financially healthy or or even competitively healthy. You know, there is always a guarantee that you will have a base performance you will hit every season. But uh, talking of all the implications you mentioned, a post I read on Quora from Mercedes's power unit engineer has suggested that Ferrari is currently faster than Mercedes because of their engine maps. And this could lead to reliability issues for them later in the season. Now, first things first, this is extremely interesting because, uh, you know, to see a Mercedes engineer make such a statement without being anonymous, make such a public statement. Because I know from, you know, my working with Force India that eventually there is a restriction on what you put out on social media, especially if something's, you know, taken to be as an official statement from the team. So I wonder if this answer is authentic in the first place. But nevertheless, I think it's a really, it's, it's a really interesting insight that's definitely offering fans a different perspective in this whole Ferrari versus Mercedes battle this season. Yeah, unfortunately, this still makes my life very tough. When it comes to my Grand Prix predictions, you know, every weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Although Flavio Briatori's comments might help. He said that Lewis Hamilton is stronger than Sebastian Vettel and will win his fifth title this season. Yeah, but you know, honestly, given his track record, I would bet on exactly the opposite of what he recommends. (laughs) Unless he knows something we don't. (laughs) Well, the belief is that Flavio always knows something we don't, especially in the Bernie Ecclestone era. But Briatori also said that Charles Leclerc should be in and Kimi Raikkonen should be out of Ferrari. But then again, everyone's saying that 
except for Sergio Marchioni. Yeah, okay, that, that's a very painful <laughs> thought. So I'm just going to move on. Kunal, it's time for our fabulous What Toto Wolf Said This Week section. <laughs> so Toto Wolf said that Mercedes have the fastest car this season. But the big question, the elephant in the room that he's not discussing, do they have the most reliable car as well? Ouch. One double retirement and this is what we end up asking of yeah. Mercedes's operations. So I would take it a step further to wonder if Mercedes have the most agile pit wall in the paddock as well. Because we know how the whole safety car, virtual safety car uh, just throws Mercedes into this freeze. You know, it's like somebody saying statue when <laughs> when when uh, when that happens on track. And uh, Toto Wolf also said that Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault engines are evenly matched. Now, I would believe the statement when Christian Horner would say so and no one else. <laughs> <laughs> Although Toto Wolf is right when he says that tires are the biggest denominator in the title fight. That's true. Anyway, guys, uh, I hope Toto Wolf will say a lot more, you know, now that we're heading into the German Grand Prix and stuff. <laughs> so I think this section is going to be super fun next next podcast around. Okay, guys, so finally, we're going to start discussing the 2018 German Grand Prix. Yes, we're going to start off with Lucien's Moments in Time section. Like I said earlier in the episode, here are some historical but really fun facts from the German Grand Prix by Lucien himself. He's a big fan from Australia. He's also the, the, the musician who's composed our opening and closing tunes. So there's a lot of Lucien you're going to hear because we're going to do this Moments in Time with Lucien, the episode before every Grand Prix. Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. Today, we look back on some of the memorable moments in the German Grand Prix of the past, notably at the Hockenheim track. The first memory that comes to mind is Rubens Barrichello in 2000 winning for the first time after a terrible qualifying and then balancing slicks in the rain at the end after a disgruntled Mercedes worker walked on the track, bringing out the safety car and ruining what looked like a guaranteed McLaren Mercedes 1-2. Having been fired, according to legend, this angry man got what he wanted. Mercedes lost the race and Ferrari won. Job done! Seeing Rubens sob like a baby on the podium was emotional, but his crazy podium dance was always special. 1982 forever will be remembered for two things. The brutal career-ending crash with Peroni in practice, despite gaining pole position. The crash also affected Prost mentally regarding wet weather racing. Not the racing, but the vision issues. But the race saw PK taken out of the lead by Salazar, resulting in PK doing his hilarious karate demonstration. This footage is now part of Formula One folklore. Ironically, Gilles Villeneuve was killed earlier in the year in a Ferrari and replaced by Patrick Tombay. With what happened to Peroni and Villeneuve, it was fitting that Tombay took his first win, giving Ferrari some respite from the grief. 1989 was a classic, with Senna and Prost at McLaren at the height of their bitter rivalry. No one else really had a shot that day, it was amazing to see both drivers have delayed pit stops, looking very suspicious as if Ron Dennis had orchestrated it so that it would be fair. Close to the end, Prost was looking set to win over Senna when he lost top gear, and on a track like Hockenheim, he was a sitting duck, and Senna duly gobbled him up. Michael Schumacher won in 1995, with Damon Hill spinning off at Turn 1 on lap 2 with a wheel-bearing failure. But such was the frustration with Damon and the media's perception of him that the bearing was never really made public. Rather, Shumi was further deified and 
Hill castigated for being a loser. I never forget Hill saying he was not a plonker in practice. 2014 saw Nico Rosberg win to an unappreciative crowd who never seemed to really see him as a German in the same way they did Schumacher. But this was a race where Nico had Lewis Hamilton rattled and after some practice gremlins had relegated Hamilton further back on the grid, he pretty much hit everybody on the way back through the field, proving that under pressure he gets rattled. Senna and Prost had another big moment in 1991 where Prost claimed that Senna pushed him out and if in the same situation again, he would take Senna out, earning Prost a warning. Senna ironically broke down right there at the end of the race and the tension and body language between the two titans was palpable. Ralph Schumacher, or Half Schumacher, or Ralph Halfmacher, won in 2001 for Williams, but the race is memorable for the start line crash where Schumi slowed and Luciano Berti was launched into space, creating a massive mess all over the track. Interestingly, Jacques Villeneuve got his last Formula 1 podium at this race. Obviously, there are so many great moments, but let us not forget Felipe, Fernando is faster than you in the 2010 race. The saddest part of that result was that Massa was looking good to win a year after his near-fatal accident, and of course, he never won again. That's it for Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. See you again. Awesome, Lucien. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, Kunal, what are your predictions for the weekend? My predictions for the weekend. I think uh, the pendulum is going to swing again between Ferrari and Mercedes, and we don't know which way it's going to go. Mercedes have said that they're finding more power on their power unit between races. And let's remember, this is their home race. They'll have tons of guests and important people and important-looking people as well. Investors. (laughs) (laughs) And they would really want to win in front of them. But also, I'm sure that Hamilton would want to win it in Germany for two reasons as well. First, it is Mercedes' home race. And second, it's also Sebastian Vettel's home race. And we know what happened and who won at Hamilton's home race last weekend. This would be fantastic revenge, actually. But anyway, getting to the point, who will win on Sunday? I think I would go with Sebastian Vettel. I yeah. think the you know the momentum is slightly towards Ferrari's side, uh, followed by Hamilton and Bottas. Okay. And what are your picks? So I'm going to go with the Mercedes one too. So obviously it's their home race, so they're going to do what it takes. You know, they'll use higher engine maps or whatever to stay ahead of Ferrari. <laughs> Unless... A safety car is deployed. <laughs> <laughs> the irony could be that a Mercedes safety car could rob the Mercedes F1 team chances of a victory. It Ouch. could be. But I also think that there will be another change in the lead of the Drivers' Championship and that we'll exit Germany with Hamilton leading Vettel by two points. Which then means that you're expecting Sebastian Vettel to finish third. Okay, so on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I know we've not played out the Kevin Magnussen episode just yet, uh, but we will definitely play out the Nico Hulkenberg episode before the German Grand Prix this week. Now, we're not just throwing crumbs at you guys so that you come and listen to us because we know that you anyways will do so next week as well. So enjoy the Grand Prix this weekend and we'll see you next week. Also, you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.